You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room with us. We've got a special edition this week. Uh, we have a TACP officer joining us, at Captain Tyler Quinn. He is highly recommended by the community. And now that I've said that, whoever's watching this will come back and say, why the hell did you get this dude on the podcast? But I can't wait fine. to see that. I can't wait to see the memes. Every single sad tack P page out there is, oh, Peaches doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right, because I don't like tack P's. I'm just kidding. Just Whoa. kidding. God. <laughs> so we have uh, Captain Quinn on, which is excellent. Like I said, you come highly recommended. So we're looking forward to sitting down and chatting with you. But first want to bring up some of our partners that we, we've got a bunch of them now, which is fantastic. We like working with them a lot. Like I'm already drinking on a hoist right now. Um, but if you guys decide to go with any of them, they support us. So uh, you can support them and support us by going to their page and then using the promo code ones ready and you guys are get a discount and there you go. So, sir, again, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, well, I've been a TACP for 17 years now, um, which at the rank of captain may seem a little funny. That's because I was uh, enlisted first as a TACP for nine and a half years. So I joined in 2004 as a TACP, uh, stationed at uh, the 14th ASOS out of Fort Bragg, and I was stationed there for nine and a half years. Um, I did uh, six combat uh, deployments out of there with the 82nd, uh, the 101st, uh, and then, uh, augmented for uh, soft, uh, and then, uh, commissioned after I finished my degree, um, out of, uh, out of Bragg and then got stationed at Fort Campbell as a TACB officer. And that was my first duty station as a TACB officer, uh, did three years there PCS to Fort hood. Uh, I did another combat deployment out of there to, to Kuwait, Iraq and Syria, uh, in 2017. Uh, and then coming back from that, uh, uh, after a uh, flight command, um, as a captain, I then PCS, uh, to my current duty station at uh, Langley, where I'm currently the branch chief of, uh, TACP and ASOC, uh, and, uh, basically in charge of all the organizing, training and equipping, uh, at the Magicom level for, uh, for that sounds like an easy job. <laughs> super easy <laughs> just bank hours you just go in late get off early really nothing to, nothing to knock down no big rocks to break sounds pretty good sir <laughs> yeah i would definitely say the office job is a little bit more manageable at uh what you call a nine to five than the normal ops uh, at tech piece yeah. <laughs> well um we've got a bunch of questions uh what we did is we we went out on instagram and we asked everybody what they wanted to hear from from you. So I, I want to take up the first question um, and keep it a little lighthearted just to break the ice a little bit. So, sure. um, yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> so the question was, are all tech peas jacked or do all of you guys have dad bods? Like what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> are all tech peas jacked or some of them have dad bods? Uh, 
as a dad, <laughs> as, a, uh, as a father, peaches, as you know, <laughs> yeah, as, I do have a dad bod. Uh, that, you know, I think that just comes over time. Um, but I just can't maintain that, that level of, of readiness. One would say, uh, at the, on the staff level, um, I still maintain, uh, my fitness. I just ran a 5k for veterans day and, and won the, um, Langley air force base 5k, uh, 1820 something and some change. So, oh no, um, just, okay. Let's just pause. Let, let the flex uh, breathe. Let the flex (laughs) breathe. Let it breathe. I won dad bod. Uh, yes. Uh, but I would say that fitness, uh, constantly. So yeah, I don't, I I wouldn't say that we're aesthetically all jacked. No, but, uh, but I appreciate that comment. Thanks for, thanks for that one. Yeah, just just keep in mind, like when we put stuff out on the Instagram, like you're getting exactly what you think when we're like, hey, what <laughs> questions should we ask? Like you're really getting a, a mixed handful of stuff in there. So so just be aware. No, some of the other sure. questions. <laughs> yeah, some of the uh, some of the other questions that we always get. Right. We're just going to start straight from the beginning. Right. So what does TACP mm-hmm. do? And most importantly, why do they need officers? You didn't have officers for a long time or you had ALOs <sighs> before TACP officers. So. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, what is, what's a TACP and why did, why do they need officers? Why did they make TACP officers for the career field? Sure. Um, uh, I mean, you, the reason why TACP exists in the first place is um, we are the Air Force liaison um, to the Army. Uh, and, and some of the things that we provide are um, uh, strike capability uh, to the Army uh, and integration capability uh, as far as like planning, uh, uh, advising and assisting them on air power. Uh, on the grand scheme maneuver. Uh, we also provide them C2. And so TACP does that strike integration in C2 on the strike side. Uh, everyone kind of, what kind of alludes to is, is the JTAC uh, qualification or what that brings. And so all TACPs uh, are inherently a JTAC. That's part of our pipeline in order to get your five level for the enlisted uh, and, to, and to become a qualified officer, you have to be a JTAC first. So that's where everyone starts. That being said, um, the, the, officer role or the advocate for the TACP uh, on the officer side was traditionally filled by uh, rated officers in the Air Force. And so that's where you get the air liaison officer. Um, and they were more of that that integration um, side of it because uh, the JTAC um, previously was only uh, enlisted. Uh, there were officers that were JTAC qualified uh, that needed to do that. And originally it was only the officer and the enlisted guy was just the radio operator, maintainer, and driver, uh, or the ROMAD, as we like to call it. And slowly that that job transitioned to the enlisted guy because he proved himself that he could call in airstrikes just as good or better than the officer. That being said, the reason why it was created is because of the rated manning shortage. Uh, pilots need to fly airplanes. Uh, and uh, the Air Force is looking at, after, how do we, uh, funding-wise, get rated guys back into, uh, uh, back to flying and, uh, not have the added resource constraint of having to requalify that person after, after they do an ALO tour of two to three years that created a a RAND study. And based off of the findings that they said that day, non rated officer could do ALO duties. And so that's why tech officers were created to get pilots back to flying, uh, and give the advocacy, um, and the continuity for the TACP weapon system. Some of, some of those rated ALOs have been fantastic for you guys, but at the same time, like I, I think it's pretty important for you guys to have your own officers, very much like PJs, and getting crows. 
Yeah, that's a, that's exactly the parallel that I was going to draw is like, you know, I'm sure the ALOs did great when when helicopter pilots were in charge of rescue squadrons. They did a great job. Like they, there were a ton of them that I, I can think of right now that, hey, they did a great job. But having somebody that actually wears your beret and has gone through your pipeline, that is invaluable to have as a commander. So I, I know you guys probably felt that pain. We were on all enlisted career field as well. And, you know, it started to be the same thing. We need somebody that understands, no kidding, what, what happened with us. Have you guys seen some good returns? Have you guys seen like an increase in morale or have you like, do the ASOSs feel a lot better now that they've got TAC pose um, as opposed to ALOs? And what are, yeah. I, pause here too. What are we supposed <laughs> to call you? Are you taco? Taco seems way cooler. I don't know. Uh, yeah. There's a couple Tuesday. people that advertise for tacos, but uh, no. So, um, and I think it's important to recognize that we're all TAC P's, uh, whether you're an officer or enlisted, uh, I'm a TAC P, um, the qualifications are a little bit different. So, uh, we all have JTAC qual. The thing that I have that's different is a air liaison officer qualification. And so, um, as an ALO, which rated officers can still be ALOs, that is a qualification school at a Nellis that we get, we go to the joint firepower course. Um, and then we go to the, uh, basic ALO skills course. And we also have a senior ALO skills course for the senior ALOs that do um, echelons above brigade uh, at, at the TS level. But for the basic ALO, that, that's an actual qualification. Uh, so yeah, I am ALO qualified. Uh, I am JTAC qualified, but at the core of it, I'm a, I'm a TACP. Uh, and you can just call me a TACP. A TACP officer is fine. I'll just call you sir. It's just easier for, <laughs> it's just easier for us enlisted sled yeah, dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> call me TQ is fine. Thanks. So what's what's the the mission of of TACP officers then? So what what is it that you do that you do that really gets after the fight? Like I know you do. You're talking about like you know you being the chief of mission for what you're you're getting after right now. But you know the day to day. What what is the mission of a TACPO? Uh, I would say bottom line is to serve the airmen. Um, whatever resource they need, um, if they need training, they need equipment, they need. Uh, um, you know, just for us to go and defend them against uh, the Army Sergeant Major um, because they're catching flack uh, at the battalion level. So um, that being said, uh, I think we're just an advocate for the for the weapon system. Um, the Army is very rank heavy, uh, if you've ever interacted with them. And so it's not so much um, how, how much experience you have. Uh, if you're not a certain rank, it doesn't matter. Uh, and that's just how the Army um, looks at it. And so you got to have a light colonel advising a general, you, you got to have a captain advising a colonel. Um, you, uh, and, and so those are just those norms in the army. Uh, and so without having that rank there, you don't necessarily get a seat at the table on, on, um, the, that mission. What we talked about previously is, is misuse of resources, uh, to be able to have a TACP that is constantly there and won't get pushed over by, uh, by the army, uh, to have a permanent TACP advocating for that. Um, I, I think is, a is what you're looking for. Nice. Nice. So let, let's get into deployments, which is everybody's favorite subject, then if you don't mind. Um, so I know if, if, if I, I'm a, we have enlisted TACPs out there or people thinking about joining to become a TACP officer or enlisted TACPs thinking about switching over, I know it's fairly common um, for uh, some of the other guys in the community to, to switch over around senior tech sergeant to go second lieutenant to get some more field time. Um, what, what can you expect as a TACP officer, like on your first deployment? Is it, is it straight to, I don't want to be rude about it, but I don't, you know, is it straight to the desk or do you get a little bit of field time out of it? No. Yeah. So, uh, 
besides being a, a, the branch chief, um, I, I'm also filling in as the, uh, the functional manager for the 13 Lima or previously 13 Lima is now 19 Zulus. So for the TACP officer. And so, um, I do fill joint manning document deployments for, uh, for lieutenants and captains as, as a, as a person that deploys, uh, at, on a joint staff. Um, so we do have lieutenants that are filling captain and, um, uh, captain and major roles in a deployed status. Um, however, uh, when we deploy as a team or a flight, uh, uh, with the army, uh, they are aligned to the brigade. So, uh, um, they, they aren't necessarily writing a desk as a planner. Um, but when there are a Lieutenant, um, and, uh, a, a junior CGO, they are with the battalion and their primary job is to, uh, be side by side with the E5 or the E6 and become a really great JTAC. Um, understanding um, how to do the call for fires, understanding airspace uh, at the battalion level and, uh, and uh, helping um, get the air support requests and advocate for them. Uh, and then also executing as a JTAC uh, just in and of themselves, uh, they are a, a multiplier when I can have someone either go more forward uh, and, and learn with the E4 and E5, or if he needs to be back um, and uh, uh, plan for the next mission and kind of rotate out and, and play tag team with that E6. So he can get some uh, rack while, while uh, the lieutenant calls and strikes uh, when he's not on shift. Yeah, I'm just sitting here realizing how little I know about how the big army operates. And so I'm, I'm just <laughs> trying to take it all in and, and, and figure out what's going on right now. I'm going to use jargon. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so like, so what, what, what is everybody doing? Like, how many, how many enlisted TACPs are out there uh, deployed? And like, how many officers? Like, not specifically, right? But like, what's the relationship like? And, and who's doing what? You know, like the functional chain of command versus the, uh, the operational chain of command with the army. Like you have like E fives out there dropping bombs, watching people get misted. And then like, how do they react or what's the relationship to the, the guys back on the talk? Um, yeah. So every deployment's a little bit different depending on if it's, um, if you're an, uh, a force enabler, um, like a partner force, um, or if you're actually with the army, uh, advising, assisting, um, on the line. So, for them, the the attack the officer and deployment specifically, um, yeah, I mean their their first six years are meant to be nothing but tactical, and so um, calling in airstrikes, learning the call for fires, doing the rotary wing, um, they have the baseline qualification, but learning from that E six that's been doing it um, between five to five to nine years, learning all his, t- his TTPs, um, JTAC TTPs, um, and, and fine tuning his skills uh, to understand that when he grows up and becomes a, a major or senior captain, he knows why I want a, per, uh, a particular uh, aircraft or a particular bomb. Uh, and I'm not just requesting an A-10 because I want an A-10. He understands that I need a forward firing munition, a long glider cable. He understands why I'm requesting the things I need. And at a certain point, he doesn't need to ask why. Uh, he just knows that those are the types of aircraft that I need. And he's that CGO, that tech, the officer is feeding the fight uh, by, by rerouting aircraft uh, to the particular location or, or achieving a certain effect. Because he's, he's already lived it uh, for four to six years. That's yeah, that's awesome. And and I'm I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna tell every officer I know that's not a major yet that they're not a grown up officer yet. You haven't even grown up yet, man. You're, <laughs> you're not even a senior captain. It's, <laughs> got a long way to go. And so my last question is something that comes up a lot in my community and it has for a lot of years is um, hey, why can't we just become JTACs? And I've I've always been against it for for my personal reasons, but 
is it really that hard to be a good JTAC? I mean, it doesn't seem that hard, you know. Like, is it really that I mean, hard what, to be a good I JTAC? Mean, <laughs> as a weapons officer, you tell me. Oh, is it that hard? I actually, I actually need a whiteboard. This with, one is uh, four, four different color markers. So okay. I can explain to you why. Hey, I swear. <laughs> Peaches, if those lines aren't exactly straight drawn with a ruler, you are failed. You will not believe failed. how well I can I can write on a whiteboard. It's a north facing arrow. So, <laughs> this is not I, to I, scale. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's objective, right? I, it, I, if I look at it as, do you meet the JTAC uh, MOA minimum? So the, the JTAC qual is is not only a DOD but uh, a, a NATO certification. So there are minimums that we meet. The Air Force obviously has a probably a little bit higher standard, and then TACP has a specific mission set, just like uh, the SOTACs have a particular mission set that you train to. So you have your own training plan. And so when I break that down, an airborne JTAC may have a different skill set that he's training towards more often uh, than an armored uh, JTAC. So maybe a little bit more dismounted, but we're all kind of baseline and trained the same. So to say that someone's, what is it hard to be a good uh, JTAC? It, I think it's if the appropriate training and, and pipeline, you can get JTAC qualified if you have uh, certain characteristics that we're looking for, airspace awareness, uh, be able to make decisions uh, and, and not go with 100% uh, of the information and work off of that 80, um, you know, being able to assess risk uh, and understanding what, what, what that is and communicate that back to the ground commander and advise him on, on the effect that you're trying to achieve. Because he may be like, hey, drop a bomb there, but a good JTAC would be like, well, what do you really want to have happen? Do you want them to stop shooting at us? Cause I can do that in 30 seconds and not have to worry about anyone dying and just do a show of force. Maybe that'll work. So a good JTAC has the skills to know um, how to achieve the effect that the ground commander wants without just executing what the uh, ground commander wants. If that makes sense. That doesn't so make sense. Can you do, can you do that? Trenton? I, I, then yeah, you could be a good JTAC. Dang. He used your full name there. He didn't, like, he didn't like that question. <laughs> he, oh, he almost, if he knew your middle name, yeah. <laughs> Trenton, Trenton Aloysius Siegemiller. Oh, nobody knows. I feel like there may have needed to be a knife hand in there or something. Middle name is Lindsay. Or, I don't know. All right, so let's go. That's into, people say that I'm pretty aggressive. <laughs> it's the, it's the, probably that Marine Corps training in me. No, I you like fit it. fit in just fine here, sir. You're good. Love it. All right. So uh, this is a, a good question. I just want to put this out there because like, you know, sir, our, uh, our audience out there is guys that are looking at coming into this career field and trying to figure out which one is which and which one they should go Absolutely. to. So TACPO versus Stowe, obviously we're talking about the JTAC qualification and all that kind of stuff. So can you clarify kind of the left and rights and what would make somebody want to go TACPO versus Stowe in your opinion? Um, yeah. So I'm not a stow, um, but I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can speak for the TACP officer is the TACP officer gets trained initially to the same level as the enlisted guy. So um, we all start off the same. We're all JTACs um, at the, at the battalion level and brigade level. Um, and so we are very tactical. I mean, it's literally in the name of our, of our job, right? We're tactical air control party. And so we are, um, doing that every day. And so I would say that our TACP officers probably do more of the line work um, and, and more um, at the lieutenant level uh, and the captain level, more so than the stow. There, there's just more of us. Um, and so 
we can afford to push some of those guys down to the time level and, uh, and, and just be an individual to be a JTAC first, uh, and not have to worry about managing a huge, large team. Like I said, that, that Lieutenant is learning from the E5 and the E6 at the, at the battalion level. When I say that, that's a, that's a team of six to seven, kind of depending on what your manning looks like. And so he's really only in charge of himself and maybe four or five guys. And it's not a huge responsibility initially. Um, but he learns from, from that guy. And so I think that the, maybe the level of responsibility is not as much right away. Um, but, uh, when he becomes a captain, it's 31 guys, uh, and he's advising, uh, uh, a full bird colonel. And so it, it could be drastically different as, as soon as you get into that senior CGO level. But as a Lieutenant, I would say it's a little bit easier. Um, but that just is my perspective. Um, and then the captain, a lot of responsibility and going back to the desk is, is uh, inevitable at like the eight year mark. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, awesome to know. Cause that was going to be just a follow up. Cause we get a lot of questions, um, especially for crow, which, you know, kind of we're a little bit more used to is like after a certain amount of time, senior captain type, you end up kind of being confined to a desk at some point. Um, somewhat, I mean, you're still going out there, you're still going to deployments and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, for TACPOs, you're saying eight years is kind of that mark where you're looking at. Yeah. So our, our, the way that the pipeline, um, I would say the pipeline, the way that our training plan is, is between four to six years is the tactical time. Um, from initial, from as soon as they graduate. So they got the first of four to six years. And so your first, um, duty station is, uh, inherently probably just going to be just JTAC stuff, uh, and being at the flight level. Uh, and the second, uh, or third, um, uh, TD, I'd say TDY, the PCS that you do, um, the duty location that you'll be at, you'll, you'll probably move on from either, uh, doing something tactical as a JTAC instructor or working a weapon shop or helping out and being chief of scheduling. Uh, and to, to gain some experience of squadron leadership and then go right back down from a uh, squadron um, program manager back down to a flight as a flight commander, as a senior captain at like the six to eight year mark. Uh, and and uh, that is pretty much the epitome of like what you're looking for um, as far as leadership skills by, by still going out and deploying with the guys and mm -hmm. you're the owner of your own schedule. So if you want to go out to the field and train and do whatever um, uh, as a, as a, as a captain, uh, a major, you're, you are your own schedule uh, and really you only have to answer to the squadron commander. Uh, and uh, what typically happens is that that flight commander, because he owns his own schedule and his own flight, he's, he, he answers to his own uh, army 06 um, to each captain everyone's on a different training plan and different rotation. So if you walk into the squadron, not everyone's doing squadron training, everyone's doing flight training or team training because every battalion and brigade, they're doing a totally different training iteration. Um, some people are jumping, some people are shooting. And so we don't necessarily do things as a squadron as much as we do things at the team and the flight level. Okay. So it's fair to say, I mean, that's, this is the question that we get all the time as far as, uh, and it's Trent's favorite question. I'm kind of mad that I'm stealing it here. Sorry, Trent, but um, you know, everyday life as a TAC P O TAC P that kind of stuff. Can you walk us through, I know, uh, peach walked us through the CCT life and everything like that. Yeah. But what is it like for you guys, um, day to day, Monday through Friday or in the weekend, if you guys do the training in there? Yeah. Uh, what a, a new TAC P officer can expect, uh, walking into a squadron is a brand new JTAC. He's, he's just going to be training, honing his JTAC skills. And so whether it's going into the simulator or going to DY or, or prepping to do that, I know you guys talked to uh, me previously in the guard, uh, as a, as an active guard guy. And so he's, 
that lieutenant is probably going to be in charge of uh, a TDY and, and, and uh, giving her some responsibility um, to be able to, to organize his own training, whether he's um, uh, synchronizing with uh, his army counterparts on the base to do it on base or calling around and getting range space and aircraft uh, and munitions and weapons and, uh, or, or, or finding contractors to, to give them uh, the appropriate training that they need. And so the, they are the owners of their own schedule, um, essentially. Um, the, there are certain meetings that are probably um, like the uh, speak from personal experience uh, as a flight commander. Uh, there are particular meetings like the beginning and end of the week that you need to show to, but Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are our are, are team time, uh, flight time. So get after your training plan. Uh, and uh, at the end of the uh, training plan, as long as you met all of your uh, training medals to accomplish your currency or proficiency, uh, squadron commander is happy. So uh, as a lieutenant and a captain, it's how you make it uh, with your, uh, with your, with your own training plan. Love it. I love the big boy rules. I don't think you answered the question. (laughs) (laughs) Beat around the bush. Beat around the bush. You're going to have to trust it. It it didn't answer the question well enough for everybody. Thursday at 1026, what are you doing? If you want to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and do PT (laughs) and then go to the field at six o'clock in the morning. um, I don't think anybody's checking the clock. If that's, if that's what you want to hear. Um, there, like there are particular meetings that you need to show to, but no one's asking why you're not sitting at your desk. Um, the assumption there is that you're out there training and you're getting after it. And if they need you, they can call me or, uh, unless I'm, I'm late for a meeting and then they'll call me, but that's about <laughs> it. And always, yeah, love it. Um, so this one's kind of a multifaceted question here. Um, we have a lot of guys like I was talking about that are finishing up college and college degrees are more common now. So a guy that has a college degree, what would you see um, specifically as a TACP? Who would you want to come in as a TACP officer versus coming in as a TACP and gaining that experience and kind of what made you switch over from being a TACP, a senior TACP to going back to the bottom of the ranks of the officer? Yeah, I, w- I would say that the successful TACP officers have some life experience um, prior to prior to joining. Um, I'm not saying that someone right out of uh, of uh, ROTC or or the academy is not successful, but those ones that are successful from ROTC or the academy um, probably have some type of leadership during that during that college experience. So they were either uh, a captain of, uh, of one of the sports teams or they, they led some event or they were doing an ROTC, they were doing some type of OTA where they were in charge of other uh, uh, other troops. And so they were learning their leadership skills and honing those leadership skills uh, from the very beginning. And so we find those traits when, during our um, TACP officer phase two, uh, during our assess- uh, assessment, that uh, often those personnel uh, are uh, highlighted without even knowing their background um, just because they, they have natural characteristics of leadership uh, and at uh, team building and communication. And, and some of the, those are the things that kind of make some of those um, college kids successful um, as a prior enlisted um, TACP. Um, I, I already knew, you know, the TACP business. So that wasn't a steep learning curve for me. I just had to go to ALO QC to get my ALO qual. Um, uh, so for me, it was an easy transition, um, but uh, there are some people that didn't make the transition uh, uh, in, into officer easy. Uh, and they were really great tech P, um, but uh, just not that great as an officer. Um, and that's unfortunate, but sometimes you get those people. Wait, sir. Well, uh, you know, before we did this, we talked and there were a couple questions because you are actually on um, some kind of officer form. I, I forget what you called it, but 
and you had gotten several questions that you you wanted to address during these. So I've got two of them okay. right now, and I'm I'm gonna read them verbatim just so I don't you know misinterpret the question or anything like sure. that. So the first question uh, is. I heard the intent is to eventually for every TAC P also. So if there's grammar errors, it ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're like, listen, I'm reading it yeah, word for word. I'm reading it word for word. It, this is now, I do not sign on to the structure of this yeah. sentence. <laughs> Should have been a period there, not a comma. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, they use EG incorrectly instead of IE. What an idiot. <laughs> so I heard that the intent is to eventually for, is eventually for every TAC P to become a JTAC basically becoming the logical next step if you rightfully qualify. How does this rack and stack against the officer pool? Does enlisted versus officer have any kind of priority in the JTAC course? All TACPs are JTACs, um, so that kind of answers that question. Um, and priority-wise, um, it, it's just through the accessions program. So uh, with our uh, tech, the stand-up of the TACP FTU, um, that's how we're getting out of the future faster. So we take that 18-month training pipeline for OJT uh, for TACPs to become JTACs, and we shove it into a pipeline that is uh, now only six months. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of information that, get, that comes at you faster. Um, I would say that there is no prioritization. If you are a good JTAC, as Trent talked about it before, um, those guys just float I didn't to the know. Top. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> those guys just float to the top. Um, so it, if you're an officer, it doesn't mean that that uh, that you're going to be a, a better JTAC, and they don't take any priority over any enlisted. It is everyone is the same, and that's it right through the FTU. Um, the only thing that's going to be different is we might ask a little bit more of the officer for leadership and he's in charge of timelines and he's, he's the one guy with the watch, as you guys know, uh, just keeping everyone on time. But other than that, everyone has held to the same standard. Um, so no prioritization. If, if the officer is the worst JTAC in the class and he washes back, so be it, they're going to graduate with no officers. So, um, no bias, no, no prioritization standards to standard. No, I think, I think that's a good point because we get, um, either from officers that are going to cross train or enlisted that are going to go be officers. They want to know like, Hey, kind of what's going to be expected me of me in the pipeline. And Hey, the reality is you're going to be expected to lead. You may not have an idea of what you're doing, but you're going to be expected to lead the guys and girls where they need to be meeting timelines, meeting standards. I mean, in reality, you can't save everybody, right? So people are going to quit. People are going to fail out, but you are there to lead people right from the get-go. Uh, okay, so the other question, or one of the other questions is, yeah. as an enlisted soft patch, I understand how difficult it is to get selected for weapon school. But how does it differ when the JTAC is seen as an MDS how does okay. yeah yeah an MDS. yeah I'll, I'll just leave it at that the rest of it's kind of eh. so it's kind of super confusing so tac p is a weapon system um the what just like what you call the st in the guardian angel weapon system so it has different components so the tac p weapon system is comprised of uh the jtac uh capability or the stripe capability that we talked about um 
we have a CMS or, or, you know, we have mission support. We have, uh, not, it, we're not just, you know, a hundred operators in a squadron, right? You, you gotta have somebody that's doing equipment. You gotta have somebody that's working supply, um, uh, working the computers. And so we have that element of it as well. Uh, but the other element of, uh, of the TACP weapon system is the ASOC. Uh, and so that element is, uh, uh, part of the theater air control system. And so these are a bunch of jargon and you guys don't want to hear about jargon, but air force doctrine, just know that, that when the air force works with the army, one of the ways, um, that they get aircraft o- on station, um, and route them appropriately is through the air support operations center. And so TACPs work that, um, capability, the, the air support operations center, uh, it, more of the senior TACPs uh, echelons, and then there's particular AFSCs, uh, air battle managers, and some uh, Link 16 uh, digital uh, people that work uh, uh, information for us that, that get aircraft on station and, and route them appropriately. And so uh, that is one of the things that the TACP weapon system does. So when, when the question is posed, you know, how highly selective it is for the TACP weapon system, uh, it the the WIC is a JTAC WIC, and it, so it's a it's a school that TACPs can go to. It's a it's a school as Peaches knows uh, CCTs can go to, uh, and, and if you are a JTAC, uh, you can go to that course. Um, so it doesn't really it, if you are in TACP weapon system, you're inherently a JTAC. So yeah, you can go to that if you are if you are a CCT or a or a TACP or a TACPO or a STO JTAC, like yeah. other services can't go to it. No, yeah, yeah, other services have their own uh, weapons qualification course, like the Marine uh, Marine Corps Weapons School has has their own uh, TACP officer course that I've been to, and uh, the Navy has their version um, uh, as well. You know, Top Gun or whatever you want to call it, but um, yeah, got it. So we're we're gonna switch gears for a little bit because because you spent nine years as a TACP. And then you decided as an enlisted TACP, and then you decided that you're going to cross over, right? So when you made that decision to go, you had to go back to phase two. I think you alluded to that before. How was your, did you, did you have to go to phase two from enlisted to TACP? So I'm pre, um, assessment. Um, so I, I didn't have to go to phase two. However, I can talk to phase two because I've been cadre for it as, uh, as well. And so, um, I, I don't know if you guys had what, uh, Amanda on the show, I think it was her name. Um, uh, and so, you know, she shared her experience of, of having gone through the, uh, phase two. And so, uh, the phase one is a paper, is a paper application of, if guys want to apply to be attack officers. And so that, that is boarded with a uh, senior tech B and COs, uh, as well as tech B officers. And if you have what we're looking for, then we invite you to the phase two, uh, the phase two assessments, uh, a, a week long down at camp Bolas. Uh, and, uh, you know, like most, uh, most of uh, those assessments, it's, uh, it's physical, but also mental. And so a lot of the things that we're looking for, if you have a really good baseline physically, that gives you that bandwidth to operate, uh, on the, on the cognitive skills. And so if you're, if you're, smoked uh, after day two day three four and five are going to be even worse mentally uh, but if you have that physical standard um already set uh you know exceeding the standards um that gives you the ability to to still critically think on day five uh, after five days of, of working out a little sleep no food but also be able to problem solve communicate uh and uh, you know gather as a team rally as a team um because it's 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 a leadership challenge and event uh because we're assessing you on how great you're going to be as a leader in our weapon system, not necessarily an individual officer. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you have to have that. We say it all the time. You know, you have to have that bandwidth. If you're just absolutely tapped out with physical exercise that you can't think through a problem, we need to see that. And and you've seen it as well as being an instructor down there. What would you say are some critical skills that people need before going to phase two? Did you see a, a commonality where you're like, man, I don't know why these students don't know how to perform this skill. And what would you like to get out there to say, hey, if you're going to practice one thing before going to phase two, like leadership, you, you really can't teach that. You really can't work on it. Now, I, I guess you could, but you know, what, what critical skill would you put out there that you could say, Hey, I, I wish that more of the students and more of the candidates came through showed this. Um, so we've had, a, we've had a, a study done on the assessment um, from the seventh, 11th uh, human performance wing. And uh, some of the key characteristics that kind of rose to the top. This is just science-based because um, I can tell you my personal opinion on what we look for. But the, the science tells us that uh, you're, you're looking for someone that is uh, not neurotic. Um, uh, they're, not, they, they're not necessarily agreeable. So they'll, they'll tell you um, uh, not tactfully, uh, blunt, upfront, trust, uh, honesty. Um, like, hey, this looks messed up. And I'm going to tell you that it is, and I'm not just going to agree with you. Like it's a good plan. If it's a bad plan, I'm going to tell you it's a bad plan. Um, so those kind of characteristics where you're, you're, you're assessing the situation, you're making your own judgment, but you're not necessarily agreeable just because someone makes a decision. If you think there's a better way to do it, you're speaking up. You don't just keep it to yourself. Uh, the good idea, uh, you're, you're trying to communicate that. Um, uh, I, I think one other thing would just be a professional, um, we're looking for professionals. These, these young CGOs, these lieutenants and captains are talking to light colonels and colonels, uh, during when they're deployed every day. And so if you are lacking on uh, respect or, or just uh, decorum in general, as an officer, um, you're not going to go very far, uh, in the tech D career field. So, um, working with the army is, is a little difficult, but, but those are the types of skills that we need to be an air force liaison officer, uh, and that's their primary job besides uh, serving the airmen. Right. Yeah. Working on that emotional intelligence and being able to navigate yep. kind of, kind of those, those waters is, is kind of tough because there's, there's a lot of competing interests that you guys are always juggling. So that has to be a tough one. So, so you were there when assessment and selection was the old, you know, the assessment, the TACP assessment was the, the old model. And, and now we're sort of moving towards some new stuff. Like I know there's been a lot of grumblings about the swimming coming up. So um, yeah. h- how do you, how do you feel about the new assessment and, and what can people do to prepare for that new assessment? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they have to do the past test, right? So y- you got to learn how to swim. Um, y- you got to do that. That's just a baseline for a combat airman. Uh, you know, we, we, we had, uh, a, a, an airman Hutchins got a silver star and, and, and the guy was literally in the field, um, rescuing people that fell into a river and had a bunch of body armor on, uh, and, and were drowning during a firefight and he rescued those dudes. And so that is just one element of it. When you, when you're out with the army, uh, it's inevitable. You're going to do a water crossing. Um, th- that is just part of the baseline of, of one of the requirements of, of why we ended up including it in there. Uh, we, we, uh, uh, in, in our, uh, individual kit issue, um, we took the, uh, PJ, um, format. And so we give all the, all the guys, jet fins and booties, uh, masks and snorkels. Now I was going to say, y'all are wearing our, y'all are wearing our tarics now. Like you took, uh, you were like, we took the PJ and I was like, oh, you <laughs> no, finally no, no, no. leveled yeah, up. Yeah. Huh? So, yeah okay. It's not the full okay. dive locker, but uh, it is uh, enough to uh, get by on the fin swim in the pool. So expect to be able to do that. we got to do the tier two, um, OFT, uh, operator fitness test. And so, um, 
that is going to be a steep learning curve, uh, for the old guys, but it's going to be the standard for the new guys. Um, so they'll, they won't know any different. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're ready. We're ready to do that. Sweet. Hey, so pipeline stuff, I think we covered it. Let's, let's get into some other things. So there's a lot of uh, people that, uh, I get questions anyway, like, Hey, tech peas are conventional and they're not soft. But you guys kind of split both sides of that fence. I mean, yeah. from I don't have a ton of experience, and I'm not going to talk about JTAC anymore. Um, but what is your role within SOCOM, and, and kind of where do you guys fit on, on both sides of the fence, like SOF in particular? Because, you know, we get a lot of questions about that side of it. Yeah, so uh, it's important to uh, – the TACB weapon system it is a um, – it is not necessarily in SOCOM. Uh, the, the weapon system, the, the air support operation center, uh, the mission support of that, um, the TACP, the, the one Zulu and the 19 Zulu, the AFSC TACP is in AFSA. Um, we, we do uh, have those personnel over there supporting uh, that mission. Um, the majority of the TACPs uh, are, are in um, what you would call the conventional uh, forces or, or the regular air force. And so uh, I think it's important to recognize that. Um, the second part of that is the, when we do have personnel over in AFSOC, uh, uh, in supporting the joint missions over there. And so, um, where we fit into some of the, um, priorities for SOCOM, we fall under, um, direct action, obviously Trenton for you, uh, special reconnaissance. We help out with that. Um, uh, we have uh, personnel doing the uh, long range surveillance, as you know, uh, as a graduate of that RSLIT course, I mean, we understand, we understand um, where the army needs us to be, uh, in the future fight, uh, of, of the air force of the future, um, for SOCOM, um, also helping out with uh, FID and security force assistance. Uh, we got guys over in the SOS, uh, helping out, um, uh, particularly, uh, on, on that AFSOC side to help build other partnerships. Uh, and one of the other, uh, last tasks obviously is, is just counterinsurgency. And so being able to bring that strike capability, I mean, I don't necessarily need to beat that one too far, but I think those were where we kind of fit in or the TACP AFSC fits into SOCOM uh, because, you know, they have their own mission set um, that they're tackling that are, that's separate uh, from uh, the conventional army. You know what the, uh, the most, and this is going to be a rant, but the most annoying thing that we get. Um, so there are annoying questions. Everybody out there, there are such <laughs> things as stupid and annoying questions, yeah. but people will, will hit us in the DMs and they'll be like, well, I want to, I want to do something like that's, you know, very kinetic. I want to kick indoors and do a lot of direct action and be in the fight. So I don't want to be a TACP. All right, guys, my little brother, Brian, before he went over, he's an army 60 pilot. Now he's a warrant officer. He's a warrant three. He got more action and more of that, uh, that, that those people are talking about than you would believe on his two 12 and 18 month. You know, he's got a 12 month and 18 month deployment in Iraq. You know what he was? He was an 11 Bravo. Okay. They are getting it on all of the time. And TACPs are directly attached to those units that are getting it on all of the time. And the mission set is so wide. It, it annoys me to no end to be like, well, I don't want to do TACP. Cause like Trent said, people will ask us, well, I mean, it's, it's not soft. Can you explain the difference and whatever? Like you guys get it on, on the conventional side. Like you, you guys are, are in that fight from day to day with the army on the ground. It, it just, I, I don't understand why people don't make that connection. Yeah, if there's any, um, I would say, joint deployment that calls for JTAC, uh, and we see those um, requests come across our desks as, as a force provider, um, it doesn't necessarily matter at what level that they're at. 
all they care about is that you're a JTAG qualified or you are bringing a particular capability. Uh, and so at the baseline, if you are meeting the, 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 the joint standard, the NATO standard for a JTAC qualification, that's all they care about. Uh, if you ask the army, if you ask, um, uh, uh, in, uh, the green berets, um, and, and, uh, and, and other entities that we've been with, they don't necessarily care if you're a CCT, they don't care if you're a TAC P they go, dude, are you a JTAC? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, cool. And that's it. And that's the end of it. And so, you know what I mean? You're an airman, it, you know what I mean? They don't care, um, whether you were, uh, uh, in ACC or you're in your safety or you're, you're, you're in PACAF or you're in ASOC. These are just major commands. These are just, um, particular jobs that you're assigned to and what your role is. However, if their requirement is greater than that force provider AFSOC can do, um, we have uh, guys standing at the ready. And, and as you know, we have guard guys right now deploying with the guardian angel. We have, uh, um, air combat command, conventional tac P's, uh, uh, aligned with guardian angel, which is also, um, in our air combat command as well. And so the, the tac P's are going out with, uh, with the Jays uh, on, on their, uh, on their teams uh, with the guardian angel. Um, th this is just different types of mission set and kind of where we've melded. Um, it doesn't necessarily where, where you sit and what your current task mission is, whatever we're asked to do, we're going to go do it. So that kind of like gets after that um, overall theme of uh, <laughs> you're not soft or conventional. It, it, it doesn't really matter. It's whatever they ask me to do, I'll go do it. Uh, and I think any tech P would, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amped. That's the whole thing. That the mentality is everything. Whether it doesn't matter what kind of labels are associated with you. Um, I have some other questions in here that say yeah, JTAC sure. on them that I'm not going to cover. Um, I'm just going to assume that you are a JTAC and you're good at that. But really, I just want to ask you. Um, I'm not trying. To, I didn't mean to offend you. I feel so <laughs> All bad about it. Questions are JTAC. Look, what are you trying oh to? Goodness. I read your CFTP. I don't Peaches, think what did you do? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like, if you could, if you could look back at the last 17 years. Um, at, at okay. all the experiences that you've had, like, what is it about the, uh, the community that being a TAC P and a TAC P officer that has made you stick around and made it all worth it to this point? Like, why is it so awesome? I think it's the brotherhood. I think anybody would probably say that, but it is the guy to your left and to your right that kind of make it worth it. And so when you're, when you're sucking with the army on an OP and, and, and I'm not talking about just TAC P specific, I'm talking about if it's just you as a TAC P and you're there with 80 army dudes, uh, 10 army dudes, if you're on SF team, 13 army dudes for your SF team, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, you're all part of a team. You all have a place there. And so I think the reason why I stay is because of the experiences that I had, uh, while deployed, but also the experiences that I had, um, back home. And so I think those unique mission sets, the, the, whether it's, something really troubling, uh, whether it's a, a loss of a friend, you kind of go through it together. If, if it's a great mission and it was mission success, um, uh, you go through it together. And so I think that's why the draw, the, the, the high adrenaline experiences that you share together uh, and also the lows that you experience together is, is what keeps me here. And kind of along that lines, I know you mentioned, you know, throughout this entire conversation, going from working with conventional army to working with, um, you know, everyone else, pretty much every other team out there. And we've always talked about how you need to be a person that's kind of charismatic, able to bounce from team to team and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. 
you know, is there anything specifically that you would want a person to be, you've talked about public speaking, being able to talk to Lieutenant Colonels kind of right out of the bat for attack P officers. Is there anything else that you think is a good character trait for a person to have and be able to be interoperable between those different kinds of branches? Cause army and air force and special ops, um, they speak a little bit different languages. Um, and to be able to talk those two languages is a whole another talent. Yeah, I would say someone that's steeped in joint doctrine, um, you have to know how to apply air power appropriately, which basically means don't misuse it um, because it's a finite amount. Um, But also understanding how the um, army maneuvers um, and and, uh, knowing uh, without having to ask uh, of, you know, what's expected of me on on the X uh, going out on a mission or, or planning for that they always just look at you as an airman uh, and they go, all right. And then what are we doing for closer support? You know, what kind of, uh, what, what kind of electronic warfare can you guys do here? Uh, uh, we're expected to know all of that stuff. Uh, and so being able to turn that switch on and off, uh, quickly, uh, but also without being prompted to ask for it, providing that information. And so one of the key characteristics that we look for in attack P is, um, to be an extrovert to a point, um, we don't want someone that's always got something to say, but when they do say something, it's appropriate at that time. Uh, and it applies. And if you see something that's not right, like I talked about before, you're speaking up and be like, you know, that plan has got a hole in it. And this is what I can do. Like we need to have sectors of fire over here and I'll have ISR checking out over there. I'm not worried about that over there. Let's focus over here. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll have our, uh, we'll have that covered and we don't need to put uh, guys uh, over there. Um, that, that would be one of the things. And so, um, the second part of that question, I think, uh, you know, working at like an AOB level and then, depl- uh, I would say going out with multiple ODAs different every other night. And so you don't necessarily get to build that relationship. Uh, I would say that one of the other things that we look for is not to be a wallflower. And so being able to just walk into a room full of people that you've either never met or rarely talked to and being like, all right, I'm part of the team. Um, and, uh, and, and be like, Hey, what's your name? What's going on? Who are you? What do you do? All right, cool. Um, I think those, those are the types of things that we look for is, 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 uh, that part of that being the extrovert, but not, but also not being afraid to network. Um, and, and that's going to get them, get them in the door. Cause someone that's just being a, a wallflower and being by themselves, you're like, who's that weird airman over there? And everyone's like, I don't know what he does. And <laughs> right. And that's, that's huge. I talked to some cadets that were going through RTC today down here at BYU and they have their own little group that they have a STS group basically. And that's one of my biggest things is like, do your best to step outside of your comfort zones and you have this opportunity to take leadership. So whether it's on a rotation, however you guys figure it out, you know, get with your group, train with your group, and then don't just like the, the group and the camaraderie doesn't end when you guys go home or whatever. It's continuous and planning and getting to know your guys and getting to know um, your team. And, you know, for the situations you were talking about, that's a definitely continuous thing. You have to have your spiel, your, I am this person, this is what I do, uh, you know, settle down to a T. So you don't mix words and you say everything directly as possible. Cause like you said, there's another whole group of people that are going to be trying to introduce yourselves and everything, but you got to make your point across immediately and, you know, establish who you are. That way they trust in your ability to do whatever it is, especially on the microphone and those pilots that are there. That's the only time they're really going to see you is right there. And then the next time they hear you is going to be over um, the headset. Um, so I want to switch a little bit back. Um, to some of the pipeline stuff, just because sure. I don't think we covered um, as far as employment and that kind of thing. Um, because 
like we know, um, you know, CCTPJ, SR, their pipeline is integrated with uh, Halo and Dive and all that other stuff, the water schools and, you know, everything like that. Um, as far as schools and employment type of uh, methods that you guys go to, I know there are guys with like aerosol and all, the, all that kind of stuff. Um, what kind of schools do you guys go to? And at what point do you get those, I guess, quote unquote, cool schools or whatever? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just the normal pipeline, everyone goes to jump school, everyone goes to SEER. Um, so those are outside of, um, uh, th- that's part of the, the three level training. They go to the tech PFTU, they get JTAC qualified, uh, and then they get sent to their unit. Um, depending on what type of unit they get assigned to first, um, um, because everyone's airborne qualified, it, it, it from there kind of just depends. Um, there is nothing st- stopping a tac p um and i can speak from my own experiences from doing any school that they want to um the 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 biggest thing is is uh because we are deployed a lot and train a lot it's finding that that uh, that gap but really it's creating your own uh time uh to be able to go to those schools and so um because we are stationed on army bases let's not forget about that um it it's easier for us to kind of get into those uh, army schools um, just because we can um, liaise with that army schools NCO uh, and uh, get slots that way. Also um, sitting where I'm at as the branch chief, I oversee uh, schools for air combat command. And so um, that we don't restrict anybody from doing the things that they need to do, um, whether it's a mountain warfare school out in the uh, army guard for Vermont, which is like one of the weird particular ones um, that uh, a lot of the tactics go to because we have uh, guys up at Fort drum that do uh, mountain warfare and Alpine warfare um, all the way to um, the guys out in Alaska that are, that uh, have to do um, the Arctic survival. Um, we have guys in Dopecom that have to do water survival um, and, uh, and parachute uh, operations out there. Um, and so it, it is really, um, dictated to what your, your army mission is. Um, but there's nothing stopping because we PCS, uh, every three to four years, the, uh, um, on the officer side, uh, and about the same for the enlisted, it, it, uh, it, it experiences vary. Um, but there's nothing stopping attack people from going to, to any of the schools. I've been to free fall school, air assault school, um, you know, some of those were just by nature of, of being on Fort Bragg and the missions that we were supporting at that time. Um, but uh, if you can tie it to your uh, army mission, um, you know, Ranger School, uh, Reconnaissance Surveillance Leadership Course, all these like great, you know, sniper school, it, it, there is nothing stopping us from doing that. There is nothing in our pipeline that, that we start off with. But once we get to our unit, um, it's all up to the, the commander. Uh, uh, well, it would be up to the TACP officer and squadron command to be able to send them uh, and then get that uh, that gap in training and time to be able to go to those schools. Yeah. So just like the rest of us, it's choose your own adventure, baby. You can choose hit those own, schools. Best. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> We've been saying that lately. People keep asking us because they keep trying to nail us down to like, okay, well, what's what's the career progression like? What is How many schools do I get to go to? What certs am I going to get? And it really is. A lot of it is is luck and it's right time, right place. But a lot of it is is going out and looking for those schools and being the guy that's like, of course, I'm physically fit. Of course, I'm ready to go. Of course, my physical is ready to go. Of course, I'm ready to go to this school. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I would say this. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna hand you a school uh, if you're just sitting around doing nothing for it. But it's the guys that get after it. They're like, I'm going to go to pre-ranger. I'm going to go to ranger school. I'm going to our slick. Uh, I, I'm going to go to air assault school. It's like, we're not going to stop you. 
Um, and it's those motivated tactical officers that serve their airmen by finding the resources, finding the time, um, working uh, the extra shift or hour or, or whatever. If they can afford to send three airmen off to go and do a school for, for six weeks, they'll, they'll make it happen. And so those are the kind of tactical officers that go out and find that training, um, whether it's there on the Army base itself. Uh, you know, th- through an MTT, or they actually have to go TDY to be able to advocate for those airmen and uh, get the funds um, to send them to those schools. Um, or, or in, in some some cases, it, it's all free because the army's uh, hosting it, and we're the liaison, so we get slots for free, anyways. Yeah, you just happen to be there. You show up, and poof, airsoft yeah. qualified, baby. <laughs> get it? <laughs> hardest hardest fourteen days in the army. Am I right? Oh man, yeah, it's the only fourteen day school in the army. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic the only 14 day school in the army so you sold me sir if i was an enlisted tac p i yeah. think the officer route would be good especially for stuff you start talking down the road like you know the retirement that pay bump has to be pretty nice especially when you start getting to that o3e area so what what can the enlisted tac p force do to make themselves more attractive in the phase one process they're going to get this packet together and they're like all right that's it I'm dropping it like flannel daddy himself. He wants to go be a TACP officer. What can they do to make themselves stand out in the phase one process? Yeah. So some of the things I look for in a phase one application is leadership. It, you can be a great tactician. I need those guys, right? That, that, if you're a great JTAC, uh, that's great. So what? To be a TACP officer, you, you don't, you, you got to be a good JTAC, but that's not really your primary mission once you're a senior um, or, or I call a, a CGO at, at the brigade level, like all of those training opportunities and everything are for the enlisted guy. And so if you are leading the airmen, if you're finding training, like how, how am I managing resources? Uh, and if you put, if you put that on, on the package, uh, how am I finding training opportunities for my dudes? Like if you're a great enlisted um, leader uh, at the, at the team level, at the flight level, you're going to make a great leader, as a tactical officer. And so those are the things I'm looking for. It's like, what did you do as, uh, at the team? What, what scope of responsibility are you doing or just a bunch of flight stuff? That's great. Are you affecting the group level, uh, a wing level exercise? Are you organizing training for hundreds of dudes or are you organizing training for three dudes or just yourself? Like, Hey, I went to air assault school. Okay. I got my flight air assault school slots as an example. So we were talking about schools. Uh, and I also advocated for, you know, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and, and, uh, got, got that funded for us to do X, Y, or Z training. Those are the kind of things that I'm looking for is, is how do we do, uh, uh, uh more of those opportunities and, and, uh, look for that in their package. And so if they're not leading already, uh, you're not going to just cause you commissioned doesn't make you a good leader. Got it. And then when they're, when they're actually in the process and throughout the pipeline, it's a tough transition. And I've seen it a bunch of times from people that were, you know, enlisted before, and then they, they make the transition to O and whatever career field they're in. How do you want those TAC P enlisted dudes and dudettes in the future to make that transition to officer? What are the traits that, that need to change? Like, what do you need to see? Like, let's say, you know, you, you're an instructor, you, you handle the assessment process. When you had that enlisted, you know, that enlisted operator that was coming over and said, I want to be an officer, what transitions did you need to see them make to where you knew, okay, they're, they're ready to be not in charge. They're ready to be in command because those two things are different. Yeah. I mean, I would say the first one is professionalism, um, being able to succinctly, um, gather their thoughts and present that in written or oral form, being able to 
take intent and create orders from them. Um, being able to uh, provide uh, vision um, and motivate uh, individuals that are unmotivated at that time. Uh, you know, I'm kind of caging my, my thought to assessment of what kind of skills that we're looking for. Um, yeah. Accountability. Uh, if I give you a task uh, and, and I hold you to it and you take responsibility, good or bad, whether you have mission success or not. And at the, at the end of the day, um, trust um, and honesty. And so um, I trust you to, to accomplish the mission um, in the timelines. And if you can't, uh, give me the honest feedback, like that's unrealistic timeline. Um, or, uh, you know, Hey, we're not gonna be able to do that. Can I get an extension on that time? And so those are just small examples of, uh, not living in, in, in the, in the, in the falsities, but just being open, honest and providing uh, feedback, uh, um, through, through, uh, through that, through that entire one week, um, assessments or assessment process. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> I, 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 paused saw, I saw those eyes. I saw those eyes, and I didn't know what. To... No, no, no. I'm pausing because I I thought Trent was going to ask a question, but um, but I'll ask it for him. Okay. Uh, what's next for Tech Bees? Yeah. So Tech P of the future. Um, so we just signed um, a, a new concept, um, a, a concept of employment, and so w- what does Tech P look like? in 2030 or 2035. And so we're getting after national defense strategy. I'm not going to talk too much about it. Um, the, the intricacies of it, but, uh, we are advancing our communications capability. Um, as far as the, um, C2 structure, uh, uh, that, uh, that is protected, uh, to be able to communicate. Cause if we can't communicate on the radios and through our air support operations center and down to the JTAC. We'll talk about JFAC to, I'll use my screen, JTAC to JFAC. Uh, um, how, how does, how's it to go from an E4 person calling in an airstrike or, or a cyber effect or, or um, uh, some type of electronic warfare or something like that? Like how does he execute that for the air force all the way up to the strategic intent for, for the JFAC? If that whole communications chain, it has a, has a, a hole in it. We gotta, we gotta patch that up. And so, that is just the communication piece. The second part of it is the maneuver. And so um, we have a maneuver con up right now that's about to get signed. Um, the C2 one's already signed. Uh, so we started there at the C2. That one's done. The maneuver side, which is probably the most interesting, the strike capability and the integration capability. Partnering with our NATO allies, um, uh, because as you know, that's one of the main missions of the TACP. We got uh, TACPs out in Europe um, that... Uh, that are there in uh, Germany and Poland, et cetera. And so um, that, that, that front, we also have tech piece, like, uh, like we talked about and uh, uh, out West and in Indo-PACOM to help out either, whether it's in Korea uh, uh, and, and other um, Island areas um, to protect uh, over there. The maneuver warfare for, uh, we talked about uh, Island topping, smaller teams. I think that we're getting more agile um, and uh, we are breaking our, uh, probably our construct of how we usually employ uh, and probably are becoming more austere and in smaller teams. Uh, and so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, it, that those, are, those are the themes. Um, we, we are getting away. I would say we're getting away. We are, we are naturally designed um, to deploy with the Army. However, we are um, customer agnostic, um, meaning that if you need a particular capability for strike, for integration, for C2, 
Um, we have that capability in the TACP weapon system, and we can provide that, whether it's air support um, and C2, or if it's strike, um, uh, whether, you know, however that looks in the islands or, or over in Europe, we, we are modular and scalable to that. Uh, and so the old school um, TACP of, 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 uh, of what kind of what you think is, is gradually changing um, and uh, will be uh, maneuverable where we need to be and uh, not seen uh, when we don't need to be. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, I appreciate you coming on. You've got an extremely colorful past. Um, and again, like I said before, you're well-respected. And I got to tell you, I've worked, and as you know, with a lot of tag P's and a lot of tag POs yeah. and they were right. You were, you were absolutely the right person to have on this podcast. You, you're extremely professional, even when you got people like me just being a jackass <laughs> on the other end. So I'll, I'll take it. I, I think what people can actually take away from this is that TACPs and the TACPO are an extremely professional force. Um, and once you get in, you definitely need to learn acronyms because we <laughs> spat a lot of them out here. <laughs> And you need to know what the, the different J codes and C codes and stuff like that are, which I'm sure we can cover later down, but it's kind of boring. We can start yeah, talking boring. about tax snags and stuff, but that's boring. again, boring. So, <laughs> um, but thanks again for coming on and to everybody else that's out there. We appreciate you guys tuning in. If you don't mind hopping over to Apple podcasts, leaving us a review, let us know what you think. Continue to engage with us on Instagram, over email. It's info at onesready.com, or you can go to our site, onesready.com, and submit a question from there. And, sir, do you have any kind of social media, or do you want to keep that kind of quiet? Um, I am not on social media. However, I'm maintaining professionalism. Um, I am on LinkedIn. You can look me up. It's just Tyler Quinn. Super boring. Um, but uh, that's where you're at. And you can attack the officers or people that are interested in attack the officers can find me on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, and then I can forward them uh, the information for uh, uh, sessions uh, or they can feel free to, uh, to to hit you guys up and I'll post the link um, for our uh, six CTS detachment two for attack the officer sessions. Awesome. Cool. Well, again, thanks for coming on. You guys go out there and train hard and never need your breath. Appreciate it. Thanks for, Thanks for coming on, sir. Yeah, no problem. All Thanks, right. guys.